If I started singing, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, yes, you, you know it. Um, let my people go. The story of the Exodus, well known from the song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, a complete ripoff from the song, Louie Louie by 1957, The Kingsman. Um, more familiar, though, are, of course, the stories of the plagues where the water of the Niles turned into blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock dying, the boils breaking out, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and of course, finally, the taking of the firstborn of all of Egypt and the Passover for those who didn't apply the blood of the lamb to the doorposts. Or you know the familiar story where uh, after the people are, are finally let go and they begin their journey, the crossing of the Red Sea, where the Lord uh, splits the ground, splits the sea, and the people walk through on dry ground, and then he allows the waters to collapse back and wipe out the uh, enemies of the people of God. And of course, the Red Sea moment, this splitting of the, of the sea is, is popular, it's well known, it's sparked a lot of books, a lot of songs, you know, and most of these songs that we uh, know of, you know, they're, they're putting us in the shoes of the Egyptians, kind of like I did earlier, and, and uh, we're, we're facing the enemies right here, and, a, and an impossible obstacle in front of us, and what are we going to do? And the Red Sea moment, it teaches us that we cannot be afraid, because if the Lord has split the seas once, then he'll do it for you. You know, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not Joe. I mean, that's serious. That, that, is, that is a great application to pull from, from the, the Red Sea scripture. Um, and and it, it is all fine and good. But I want us to see this morning that I think that there's something deeper going on and, and something more foundational to the storyline or the whole story of scripture than just uh, applying it to ourselves individually and how we can not walk through fear in life. Though I think it's true, but there's a pattern going on here that I think is more to what God is doing. Um, I don't know if you remember or ever knew the uh, ESPN documentary series 30 for 30, uh, where they took these 30 stories and they, um, they, they made documentaries out of them. And I, I love documentaries, so they're, they're really fun. And, uh, but in my opinion, the advertising that they did for these that, uh, for, for these documentaries are some of the best ever. And all of the commercials, they start like this. Um, what if I told you? And then they would fill in the blank with, with whatever the, the real story was. What if I told you that, don't, you know, fill in the blank, that Michael Jordan wasn't the greatest of all time? You know, what, whatever, whatever the story is that they're going to tell. So what if I what if I told you, because we're all, we're all connected to stories, right? That the stories, uh, quote unquote, they win the day. Who, whoever can tell the best story in a most compelling way, uh, that, that is going to be the narrative that rules. And so what if I told you that there was more to the whole Exodus event? What if I told you that the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea was establishing a pattern of how God would save his people in the future? What if I told you that the Exodus story is your story in Christ? Are you intrigued? <laughs> I hope that was a good uh, commercial. Um, so let me tell you then the point of the sermon as we begin. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to put the point of the text. This is what I do every week. I have a point of the text and then a point of the sermon as well. Usually I only give you the sermon, but I want to tell you the point of the text as well, which is a past tense reality, and then we bring it to the future. So the point of the text, the whole Exodus event is this, is that God rescued, rescues his people Israel from slavery in Egypt by his servant Moses and guided them to the promised land of Canaan. 
Okay, this is what happened in the Exodus event, that God rescued his people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt by his servant Moses and guides them to the promised land of Canaan, where he's promising that his presence is going to be. That's what happens if you follow the, the flow from, from Genesis, Exodus, and, and, and on into Joshua. This is the reality of what happens, the whole storyline. Okay, but now here's the, the point of the sermon and how I want to bring this to today and show you that the Exodus pattern and what God did here is actually what he does for you and I in Christ. It's this, that God rescues his people, the church, you and I, from slavery to sin by his servant Jesus and guides us to the promised land, his presence in the new Jerusalem. So you see, what God was doing in the Exodus it is a is a copy and paste, if you will, or or it's a there, there's a there's a pattern that what God set forth and what He did in rescuing His people out of bondage to Egypt through Moses and leads them to the Promised Land is the same thing that He does for you and I today. It's one of the patterns of Scripture. It's like um, you know, at the at the beginning of a piece, I think it's called the overture. You know, the 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 well known kind of chords or notes in the beginning that gets struck throughout the rest of the piece that, that keeps it going right and, and we're familiar with oh that's that's what was at the beginning right? and this is what God is doing with the exodus pattern it, it's a it is a a, a repeat of, of what's going on throughout the storyline of scripture so there are several themes throughout the storyline of scripture that we can trace right and um, many People, many scholars, though, would say that the Exodus is the main theme in which we could see the whole storyline of Scripture. Now, that might be a little uh, exaggerated, but it, it certainly is true that the Exodus happens over and over again. This repeats where God's people are exiled and separated from him. And God makes a way for his people to be in his presence. And then God's, God leads us to his presence. This happens in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. They're exiled from the garden. They are cast away from God's presence and they're spiritually dead. And then what God does is call one man and his family, Abram, to be the people through whom they can be reunited to the presence of God and lead them to the promised land of his presence. So this has already happened once in Genesis where God is leading his people back to his presence and now he's going to do it again in Exodus. This pattern is on repeat throughout the Bible. God brings his people out of the place of spiritual death and slavery and leads them back to his presence. Again, the storyline of scripture. And so we get to the actual moment of the Exodus and the Lord brings his people out of Israel as we heard read today. And um, this is the, the event that really marks and, and begins the people of Israel as a whole, like we know them today. Of course, it begins with the calling of Abram, his family, and his descendants, but this is the moment that, that kind of sets them apart and marks them off as a people. It gives them their beginning. This is their foundation as a people. And then it becomes the understanding of how God is going to continue to work. So if you would have asked people in the Old Testament times that were living sometime after the Exodus and before Christ, if you'd ask them, how is God going to save us? How is he going to redeem us? They would say, like he did in the Exodus. He's going to rescue us out of bondage to slavery through a redeemer, through, through a leader. And he's going to lead us back to his presence. That's probably what the people would have answered. So the people of Israel, then uh, this is marking the same reality for you and I today. It's like a, it's like a blueprint, you know. 
uh, you know, all the, the kind of cookie cutter houses that happen. Everybody's, you got the same kind of floor plan that you're, that you're working with. You get to choose some different things. It might look different on the inside, but the floor plan is the same on all of these houses. It's sort of like what's going on here. We've got the blueprint for how God is going to save. The inside might look a little bit different, but the blueprint is the same. And I want to take you through some of these things. Some of the blueprint of how God saves. This is God's pattern of how he saves his people. So the people of Israel were slaves to Egypt. Okay? They were slaves to Egypt. They were in bondage. And the Egypt can represent um, spiritual death. Right? They were in a place, they were separated from God's presence, and they were in slavery. And we are all, the connection to us, is that outside of Christ, and we are born this way, we are all slaves to sin and need to be set free. So you see that picture? People of God, Israel, were slaves to Egypt, separated from God in spiritual death, but for you and I today, we are all slaves to sin and need to be rescued and set free and redeemed. See this in John eight thirty four, where Jesus says uh, to the Jews who believed him, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So he says those who practice sin are slaves to sin and you need to be set free by the son. Paul makes a similar argument in Romans 6 where he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So in our union with Christ that comes through faith in Christ, we are set free from sin. The, the, the chains, the shackles, the bondage that held you down and kept you out of the presence of God, that kept you in darkness, in sin and death, have been broken free through faith in Christ. So now that you are alive to him. But if you do not trust in Jesus to save, you are a slave to sin. If you do not have faith in Jesus, we are also under the dominion of the devil. As Paul says in Colossians 1, he described it like this, that he, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, through faith in Jesus, we have redemption, also defined as the forgiveness of sins. We've been set free. We're a part of a new kingdom now. We have freedom in Christ. We're, not, we're no longer enslaved to sin. So to not be in the kingdom of Jesus is to be enslaved to sin. It's to not have your sins forgiven. To live in darkness and to be spiritually dead. It's to be in exile. It's to be separated from the presence of God is to live in your sin to be away from the presence of God, to have no direction, to be separated from him. That's what the people of Israel were experiencing in Egypt, separated from God, in exile, no direction, no hope, no future, until God rescued them. The same is true for you and I today and for anybody that we know that is not in Christ. They have no direction, no hope, no future, no connection, no relationship with God until Jesus rescues them. And this is our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is our sin and the separation from God that results that our sin results in. You see, the kingdom of this, or the king of this world, sorry, the king of this world, Satan, is a far worse ruler than Pharaoh. And this country that, that we 
live in that's characterized by sin and death and separation from God is far worse than the land of Egypt. And we need to be delivered and set free by a new and better Moses, Jesus. You see the connections that are, that are happening here. We are all slaves that need to be set free. We are all dead and need to be resurrected. So are you living in sin, separated from God? I would urge you to trust in Jesus and to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light of his beloved son. It's a far better kingdom to live in. So the next point of connection, the next kind of line in the blueprint, if you will, is that God rescues his people through his servant. God rescues his people through his servant. God's servant in the Exodus event, of course, is Moses. But Jesus is the true and better Moses, according to the book of Hebrews, who stands in the gap and mediates a a new covenant, who stands as a bridge between the Father and his creation, a humanity, and and makes a way for us to, to have a relationship with God again. Again, to not have a relationship is to be spiritually dead, to be under God's wrath, but we need to be restored in our relationship. And we cannot do it on our own. You know, on our own, um, we, we are like the people of Israel that are like, what are you doing? You know, we're, we're over there complaining and, and, and wondering what God is doing. We, we cannot rescue ourselves. We need somebody else to do it. We need somebody to save us from our slavery to sin. We need to be rescued. We need to be delivered. And Moses knew that there would be another to come who would require the obedience of God's people. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses said this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So Moses prophesied about another that would come up from the people of God who the people would listen to. And ultimately we know that has found its fulfillment in Christ. So for us today, we listen and respond to Jesus, our deliverer, the suffering servant who bore our sins on the cross, the second person of the Trinity, true God of true God, who took on human flesh and became like one of us and then was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to rescue us from our slavery to sin. This is our redeemer. This is our rescuer. He leads us back to God's presence to give us a new life, to give us hope, to give us direction. And he does not let us continue in our slavery to sin. He breaks those chains and sets us free. Isn't that good news? So God rescued his people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt by his servant Moses. But now God rescues his people, us, the church, from slavery to sin by his servant Jesus. There's one event in the whole Exodus account that I want to focus in on, and it's the Red Sea moment the crossing of the Red Sea. And here's the connection. I hope you can track with me here because this is important. God saves his people through a water event. (laughs) God saves his people through a water event. Now, I already mentioned to you that the Exodus is when the people of Israel became a true people. They're led out of their slavery and they find their foundation of a people here in this moment. And wouldn't you know it, they have to go through water to become a people. They have to go through water to become a people. Signifies their new creation as a people. And now today, when God rescues us, we also go through water to become a people, don't we? We signify this through baptism. 
When you enter into the waters of baptism, we, we pass through these waters and we become, this marks us out as a part of the people of God. Just like the people of Israel led out through the waters, we too go through the waters to be set apart, to be marked out as the people of God. And that marks our entrance. That's why we, um, upon baptizing somebody here, we baptize them into membership because it's a testimony that they are a part of the people of God. That's what gives us, uh, kind of shows the world that we are a part. And that's what's happening here in the Red Sea event where the people pass through the water. And the result of the crossing of the Red Sea, it's recorded in Exodus 14, verses 30 and 31. It says this, um, after the people passed through, it says, Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So the result of the people of God passing through the waters was that their enslavers were dead and the people feared and believed in the Lord. So what is the result then of our water event, our baptism? What's the result? Well, Paul talks about it in Romans 6, 3, and 4. Where he says all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So in our baptism, our slavery to sin is killed so that we too can walk in freedom on the other side of the waters. You see that, that God makes a new people through a water event. The Red Sea moment, as well as our baptism, our new creation events marks us out as a, as a new people, a new creation to walk in newness of life, to no longer be enslaved to the past, but now we are dead to our sin, as Romans 6, 3, and 4 says, or the people of Israel can look back and see that their enslavers are dead along the seashore. And in the same way, in the waters of baptism, we can look back and say, oh, our, our, our slavery to sin is gone. It's dead. It's been plunged into the waters. Now we can walk in newness of life. This, is, um, this water event is another pattern that we see from Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, 1, 1 and 2, the very, very beginning, uh, it's, it says that the earth was without form or void. Um, and the darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we get this picture in the very beginning when God created everything, when he created the heavens and the earth, it was like uh, he created just a, 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 the kind of raw material. And all that was there before we continue into creation was uh, waters of chaos that covered the earth. That's all there was. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So this is before anything else happens. He creates everything and, and the picture that we get are, are the waters of chaos kind of bubbling up. There, there's just, there's nothing there to, to separate them. And then what happens is this picture um, in Genesis 1-9 where then God says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. Let the dry land appear. So out of the waters of, of chaos, Out of the waters of of creation, God separates the waters and dry land appears. 
in his first act of creation. And so do you see maybe how the parting of the Red Sea and the people of God being led on dry ground through the waters is like a new creation event. God is creating a new people. Just like he did in Genesis 1 uh, where, where he creates all of, of, of the earth and he separates them and there's dry ground now. He's doing this again in the act of Exodus where his people are being led through the waters on dry ground into his presence again. There's a new creation going on. Separates the waters. Now there is creation and they walk through on the dry land. Sure. In this Exodus event, in the Red Sea event, God doesn't want you to be afraid in life because he can split the sea in two. That is true. But do you see what's happening? That God wants us to see, God wants you and I to see that you are no longer um, a part. Sorry, God wants you to see that you are a part of his glorious new creation people who are now dead to their slavery to sin and are alive to God and have his presence all of the time and you can live and walk in obedience and freedom knowing what he has done for you in Christ. That's what God wants for you and that you are united to him by faith and you have his presence with you to lead you until he returns and dwells bodily with us forever. God is also guiding us to the promised land. In the Exodus event, God is guiding his people to the promised land of Canaan Okay, where he promises a land flowing with milk and honey, his presence is going to be there. And for us today, he is guiding us to the promised land of his presence in heaven. We see that the goal of all these acts is to have God's presence. That's what it's all about. The storyline of scripture, again, is that the people are exiled. They're dead, they're separated from God, and we need to be brought back to the presence of God. That's what is happening here. Again, this is what he does. God brings his people back to his presence, known as the promised land. And this is what he does along the way. I want to point out a few things to you. These are promises that I want to teach you about when God is guiding you to the promised land. And this is, what, uh, this is where we find ourselves, isn't it? God has rescued us. If you are a part of the people of God, if you've shown that by baptism, if you have been plunged into the waters, and now you can walk in newness of life. If you're in this moment now, you have, um, you've been rescued but now you are on your way to the promised land. You're a, we are fellow pilgrims along the way. And then along the way, here's what God does. There's a few things that, that the Lord teaches us in this Exodus moment that are still true for you and I today. The first is this, he is with us. He is with us along the way. From the moment of our salvation, of being rescued from our slavery to sin, to the moment where we are united with him uh, bodily, fully, he is with us along the way. We see this in Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, where it says, And the Lord went before them, this is after they've rescued them, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. God is with his people along the way, guiding them to the promised land. He is with you. But now, in a different way, it's not that we're following a, a cloud in the sky or, or a pillar of fire. We're not following him that way, but we actually have his presence dwelling within us. We actually have it better than the people did then because we have his presence within us. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28 that he would be with them forever. 
And then he also said that it would be better for his disciples if he left so that the helper would come. And Jesus said in John 16 that when the helper comes, who is the Holy Spirit, says he will guide you into all truth. So we see that the personal presence of God dwelling in us who guides us and leads us along the way. We are not left to wander about on our own in the wilderness. We have the personal presence of God with us. We have the Spirit of God who has given us the Word of God to guide us and to illumine our path along the way. And we are all fellow pilgrims in this together who gather together for a family meeting every Sunday to be reminded about our direction and where we're headed along the way, back to the presence of God fully and finally. God is with us along the way. And along the way from Exodus 14.4, he will get glory over our enemies. He will get glory over our enemies. Look at Exodus 14.4. It says this, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Psalms repeat this refrain, My enemies will be put to shame. All of the opposition that we face from our enemies in this life will ultimately prove to be for God's glory. Do you believe that? You're fighting against sin and temptation and your um, fighting against the devil will end up glorifying God in the end when Satan is ultimately defeated and put to shame. You're fighting in your opposition uh, and you're fighting against temptation and you not falling into to sin is worth it. Your struggle is worth it along the way because God will get glory in the end. He will get glory over our enemies. And last, God will fight for us. God will fight for us, even when we complain and grumble. That's Exodus 14. I already read some of it for you earlier, but 12 through 14. Remember it says, uh, the people are saying, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The people have just been rescued and now they're complaining. Um, And Moses says basically, pardon, but shut up. And, and I'm sure Moses was being more gracious than that, but that's how I read it. Because that's, that's how I find myself sometimes where I'm grumbling and complaining about well, where the situation I'm in or what's happened and blah, 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 life's so hard, blah, blah, you know, whatever. And, um, and, and, then, and then there are some moments where it, it, it's like this, where it's like, do you know, <laughs> I mean, look what I just did for you. Look what I've done. Look how I saved you in Christ. Look what Jesus has done for you. That's, that's kind of what, what this moment is. And how often do we complain and grumble in this life when we've re- experienced the most miraculous salvation of all time? Like Israel at the Red Sea, you may want to turn back and go back to Egypt. You know, there might be moments along the way after you've been rescued and before you get to the promised land, there's going to be times along the way where you're going to, you know, this is, this is why uh, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. You know, don't look back. You might be tempted to say, I think it might be better in Egypt. I really liked my sin. 
I mean, we, I, I had some fun times, you know, it was, it was okay. Um, but it ultimately, back there, leads to slavery and destruction and separation from the presence of God. And so we continue along the way. We keep going. Don't look back. And as you go, even as you, if you complain and grumble, God is going to fight for you. Just watch him. We've been saved from our sin. We've been brought back into a relationship with God by grace alone. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to his marvelous light. Yet, the old sinful self still clings on sometimes and we grumble and complain. Is this why you saved me, God? So I can die in the wilderness? My life was better back there, but how foolish we are to think such things. Watch the Lord fight for you and only be silent. He's guiding us along the way to the promised land of his presence and we can trust him to get us there. God rescues his people from slavery by his servant, guides them into the promised land. This is the story that is in some ways the story of the Bible. It's the paradigm, it's the picture, it's the blueprint of how God saves his people and this is our story. This is our story. The result of the Exodus, the miraculous work of God at the Red Sea is our story. See, we need to be rescued from our slavery to sin because it causes separation from God. We need to be led out of this slavery, not by Moses, but by Jesus. And we need to follow him then along the way to the promised land. And we have God's presence with us along the way. So this is the, the true story of what's going on at the Red Sea. And after God leads his people through the Red Sea, and we get the summation statement in 14, 30, and 31 that the Lord saved Israel that day. And then guess what the people do in response to the salvation that God has brought them in chapter 15? They sing a song. They sing a song of praise to God for how he has delivered them. And that's what we're going to do today. As we're reminded of what God has done for us in rescuing us out of our slavery to sin and death by plunging us into the water so that our sin is dead. It is no longer and we can walk in newness of life because of what Jesus has done. And we have his presence within us, his Holy Spirit guiding us, leading us along the way into all truth, always pointing us back to Jesus. And so for us today, as we're reminded of what God has done for us and this miraculous salvation that he has brought about, we respond in worship and singing about how great he is. And not only then do we respond in worship in this moment, but our prayer is that we would also leave this place today and as we exit and go back into our lives wherever it, it takes us, um, that we would continue to be reminded of what God has done for us in saving us in Christ. And that we would not only worship him in song when we gather together, but we would worship him with our whole lives um, throughout the course of every moment of every day. And when we grumble and complain, may we remember that the Lord will fight for us. Now we respond in worship. Would you pray with me? We hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day and God bless.